I'm sorry about the delay. The cat has somehow managed to get on the top of, like, there's basically a coat rack that hangs off our door, but there is literally no way she could have got up there, yet she is up there. Oh, they f- the cats find a way. Are there coats hanging from the coat rack? No. Just climb up the, the door. God frame. knows. No idea. But she was hanging off that as I opened the door, so that was a bit of a surprise when she was looking down at me. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. As you may or may not have seen me tweet this week, uh, Caden has worked out how to get on top of the bookcase and is very proud of himself. Oh, excellent. They like their little victories, don't they? I don't think he's worked out that after I saw how he did it, I've made it easier for him. Um, (laughs) How does he do it? Uh, he jumps on top of an old PC case, then scales uh, a very long cylindrical bag in which I keep some photography equipment, and that gets him on top of one shelving unit, which he then makes a short jump from on top of the bookcase. Excellent. It's fun for them, isn't it? So I, I don't... I don't know. I try not to discourage them from doing too much, because otherwise it annoys them, apparently. But... Uh... At the same time, I do feel like a hostage in my own home. Hello and welcome to Dangerously Unprepared. I am Simon... And joining me are Irish. Hello. And I've just realised I do this in the order in which people appear on my screen and you've all got weird names. I think the next one is Jack. Hello. It is. And Rob. Hi. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Really weird names. (laughs) The listeners are probably thinking you've just gone, these are really weird names. Jack. Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I... To explain what I am seeing, yes. <laughs> the software we use to record has our names listed on the side, and right at the top is Raitara, which is me. That's a name I use on the internet, almost everywhere. Followed by D.U. Irish, which makes perfect sense. Because we're dangerous. Followed by D.U. Think So. <laughs> and D.U. Dr. Roo. Yeah. So, I, I process of elimination, I went, Roo, that's, that's like Rob misspelt. So, <laughs> almost, yeah. Yes, one letter off. Uh, so, yes, but I worked it out. Hey. Perfect. Um, it's been a long week. It really, really has. It really has. I think we're all in a slightly long week mood. It's a devastating, a bit of devastatingly long week. Absolutely. Devastatingly long. Ooh. Well, it's the same amount of time, but you know how it, you know, you know that thing with time, it, it, you're, it flies by when you're enjoying yourself and then it lingers around like a bad smell when you're not. I, I don't get to use this as a descriptor enough. It's been a wretchedly long week. Oh, You don't get to use wretched as an adjective enough these days. I quite it? like using wretched, though, but oh, I sure. like to be quite melodramatic, so, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> I would never have guessed that of you, Rob. What do you mean by that, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so random thing that I think you guys, and some of our audience might be interested in. Uh, have you seen the announcement of Necromunda for the PC? Yes, oh. well, it was a while ago, uh, Hive War. 
Um, no, 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 Necromunda. Yeah, as in Necromunda. Just, just Necromunda. Oh, okay. Um, by the same developers who Mordheim. did Mordheim. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're subtitling it Hive War. If they are, I haven't seen that bit. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, it's going to use the same kind of uh, weird movement system that they used for more time if you've played it. Yeah, where you've got a sort of you've got an, a, an amount of movement that you can backtrack on and everything. Um, basically, you start inside a circle, yeah, and you can freely move within that circle uh, unlimitedly. Uh, however, moving beyond that circle takes up like a movement point. And then you get another circle that is your next movement point. So rather than having a grid, it, it effectively limits your movement in the same way, but it, it feels much more freeform. Yeah, and because you're on the level of the your actual characters, rather than, say, Blood Bowl, where you're hovering over the top of the field, um, yeah. it makes it a lot more interactive, makes you feel like really get in there in the combat and the, the, explore, uh, the exploration and the, the climbing up ladders and falling off ledges and landing on yep. faces every fucking time. <laughs> yeah, Mordheim is a punishingly difficult game. Yep. Um, but yeah, Necromunda, I, I saw one comment on the announcement with the concept art that I'm just like, this guy gets it. I am on this guy's side, which was simply, I hope they don't double down on the grim dark because Necromunda was from the tail end of the pink mohawk era of Games Workshop and I fucking miss it. Yo, yeah. <laughs> I'll be I'll be bringing up my Escher ladies. Hells yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was just a little thing I saw that I was quite pleased with. It's it's coming. Yeah, to the that same looks so wicked. Sort of, uh, announcements for uh, Wealth the Apocalypse RPG, which you know has been tried to get off. Like various companies have tried to get it off the ground about a hundred times before, um, and it's never gone well. So we'll see how it goes. That was almost a segue. Oh shit! Yeah, it was. Sorry, I'm just I'm just talking about games being announced. Yeah, but it was just a, a cunning little segue. It also links in the same way that, that that's being made by Cyanide, who made Blood Bowl, which I mentioned earlier in the conversation about Mordheim. It all ties together. Like one giant ball of shit. <laughs> string, string, that's the one. Uh, it's the same thing. This is this is why my like Christmas present wrapping did not go according to plan. There also, you go, you picked up the thread oh, of my joke uh, and ran with it. Damn. Dangerously unprepared does not advocate running with poop. Yeah, please don't do that. Or yeah. scissors, you know. Or both. Yeah. However, having cunningly segued, I want to now draw proceedings to a halt uh, to read out a piece of listener mail. Do it. That's mega. Hello to you gentlemen known as Jack, Rob, Simon, and last but not least, Irish. Yay. How do you know our names? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do not mind me using your names, but over the years, I feel I've gotten to know you as friends. I hope that's awesome. not creepy. That's Aww. not cool. Oh, that's awesome. First I'm of all, a friend. I'm... Yes. First of all, I'm very pleased that you are on the airwaves. I shed a tear when I listened to World 1 Stage 1 Game Over, so hearing you again has made me very happy. Uh, we made someone have an emotion. Possibly two or three, oh, to quote Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Oh. Having listened to your first podcast, I noticed that you discussed a lot of comic book films. These are clearly what you love. But would you consider doing a show on older films, and indeed classics such as Casablanca, 
Gone with the Wind, or more up-to-date stuff such as Kevin Smith films, or indeed the likes of Quentin Tarantino. I do hope you read this out, as it will make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Oh. Uh, also, will Mike ever return? All of my fuzzy feelings, Christopher Windsor. Uh, I, I realised I, I was saying awe behind like every single thing on that, because that made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Uh, I know, that emotions that everywhere. Be the whiskey, I don't they know. exist. Uh, so, the, to get the easiest question out of the way, uh, Mike moved. <laughs> uh, so he went to the north. He did. The he door is north. always open for him, uh, but uh, no promises. Yeah. Uh, and as for the topics and of uh, of discussion that you suggest, I would be happy to do a show about any one of those. Hell and yeah. what I have done. Is I've gone to dangerouslyunprepared.com where people can suggest topics. And I have added them all to the list. So, Christopher and everyone else, go there, vote for them. Because we are paying attention to that list. We're, sure. also, paying we're also paying attention to all, all listener mail. We are, absolutely. Was, Send us more listener mail. But I was doing my own little segue. Oh, shit. Thing, and at the top of that list right now, is tonight's topic. Oh my god, that oh, was a good Oh, we're story. listening! So, you, you see how this works. You put a thing on the list, you vote for it, and then we, we look at the list and we go, oh yeah, we could do that. And now we're going to do it. Yeah. That's, that's how this show works. It and makes we are unprepared. Because a little... We are totally unprepared. A little bit of, of behind-the-scenes knowledge for, for World 1 Stage 1, and indeed a little bit of Dangerous to be Unprepared, is a lot of the prep for our shows is mostly just us on Facebook Messenger going... All right, lads, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, what we do you want to do? We are the vultures from Jungle Book, essentially. Yes, yeah. we are. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's impressive, to say the least, that we've managed to keep it up for so long. It really is. <laughs> so, uh, yep. yeah. That, that behind, the, the magic of, the making of story really is, are we recording tonight? Yep, okay, what are we doing a show about? I don't know. And then proceeds a whole discussion about what the hell we're going to talk about. I, so, I know that shattered a whole lot of illusions about how professional and well prepared and and just downright gurus of of podcastery that we are. Um, but no, but I'm sorry. No. You know, I am the mass magician of this. We, we are. We live our gimmicks. We are the Diamond Dallas Page of podcasting. We live our gimmicks. Oh. But actually, having that um, that show topics thread on the website, dangerouslyunprepared.com, has actually helped us out in somewhat in narrowing it down so we can at least, um, you know, zone in on what we're going to be deciding on. So thank you for those who have already posted. That is exceptionally helpful. It saves us at least half a day. So you you can join in with us making this show you direct us and guide us because tell us what to talk about you are dear listener the fifth contributor and Wait, the, the sixth host. yeah and yeah both of them both of them are the fifth and sixth hosts yeah both of them that's how it works that is indeed how it works or doesn't sometimes <laughs> so yes, tonight we are talking about more Tales from RPG Land. This was a show that we did on World 1 Stage 1, which some people quite enjoyed. Some people even described it as the best World 1 Stage 1 episode. Oh. Uh, I, I, I think the stats suggest that the Metal Gear episode was better, but hey. I'm just going <laughs> to keep putting this out there. I, I only think people listen to the Metal Gear episode in like a masochistic kind of way. 
because I went back and re-listened to that one. I literally just summarised the plot of the Metal Gear Solid games. I didn't do fuck all about like the games themselves. <laughs> we could revisit that and do some do actual work on that. But then we'd be prepared. That's not allowed. Oh shit! Yeah, all right. Let's just leave it. Let's leave it to to be that blight on my record. <laughs> so the two things to note about this episode one for more go visit the world one stage one archives uh, and two if we end up repeating ourselves that is because we are dangerously unprepared and have not listened to that episode to work out what we talked about in that episode so we don't talk <laughs> oh, about it again fuck, you're right we, yeah, really thought thought that. That. we really should have did that yeah, I know. We all had that thought, and then none of us did. Fuck. It. I have quite good a good memory of some of the things we spoke about, but we, it was a long briefly, time ago since I heard that episode. Do you want to briefly pause and listen to a whole episode? No, no, and just like like skip through and be just like, okay, this, 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 this. It, it'll give us a better idea than nothing at all. No, nah. we can do that. We can do that, or we can do it dangerously unprepared. Okay, fair enough. If any of us remember, are we allowed to stop the person? Oh, ooh, that's interesting. Ground rules. Yeah, ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are now only now preparing those ground rules, so we're still unprepared. It's just that, that is true. We're bringing. So in we the just scream now. into our microphones until it stops. Yeah. So we're talking about whether people have veto. Okay. Uh... Raise your hand if you don't want the person to carry on with their story. If you wish to interrupt. <laughs> That works. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to start talking about a vampire campaign. No, I definitely talked about that before. Just I don't think you actually did, though, yep, Simon. I think, I think me and Jack spoke about it, but we didn't hear it from your perspective. Yeah, we didn't hear it from like the person running the game's perspective. Yeah, because if you think about it, uh, and for those who did listen to that past episode, you will have heard the story of how I played a vampire, an insane vampire named Jonah, and Jack played uh, a terrifying midget Nosferatu vampire named Squeak, and how they terrorized New York with their antics. But to, to, to really kind of zone in on, i got to say how really well Simon dealt with that, that story. There was actual serious story, like, running through that, like... If you imagine, like, a hit television series, we were one plot line of many. So <laughs> there were other things going on. Yeah. Okay. I, it would be nice to sort of see it from the perspective of, uh, you know, the, the creator of the storyline, the creator of all this plot, sitting back and watching as two idiots piss all over his chips. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, okay, yeah. So from a DM's perspective, that campaign... It was only supposed to start and finish in London, um, which it ended up not doing. It ended up running for several years and across multiple continents. Uh, but basically, I ran that game the same way for all of the uh, encounters. And that is that I, I know the first rule of running a game is that no campaign survives contact with your players. Uh, they will do everything in their power, and usually unintentionally, to derail you yep. and and um, and just ruin your day. And it sounds terrible, but you've got to you've got to remember the 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 highlighting there of usually unintentionally because 
never underestimate your player's ability to not figure out what the plot is and what they're supposed oh, to yeah. do. So they're just going to be like, well, I hope I'm going I'm to go down this route and hope this helps us get along the story. And if not, I'm sure it'll be an adventure. Well, I think yes, Simon so. is, is particularly good at this as well, because I think one of the best rules for running a game... Um, and I raised my hand because I wanted to interrupt Simon. We didn't actually say what the system was, so I think you should say that in a moment. But um, one of the best rules for running a game, I find, is just, in that case, to present players with problems and not solutions. So that, that way, they can then work it out, and it's all fine because they're not, they're not undoing anything that you hopefully have planned for the future, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I do get what you mean. And, okay, yes, the system. We are talking about the World of Darkness. Uh, specifically, it was the the setting and the law of the old World of Darkness rules in the new World of Darkness game system, uh, which is a system by White Wolf, uh, which is... Uh, the same uh, it's the same law behind the game Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines uh, if you're familiar with that as the computer game it's also the same well I say same uh, it's the same origin as what turned into Kindred the Embraced if you've ever seen it on TV oh good lord that was a great um, series yeah the, the less said about that the better and I then... don't know what that is oh we have to do an episode on that it's a World of Darkness TV show, and it's not good. What, officially licensed? Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know this. How much, yeah. how much do you like blue filters? <laughs> <laughs> I love blue filters, obviously. I didn't get enough of them in Van Helsing and Underworld and other stuff. Yeah, literally, it's, the whole thing is, mm, what a beautiful day for night, the series. <laughs> <laughs> Put it this way, uh, White Wolf have licensed vampire properties to TV twice. Once in a whole show dedicated to them called Kindred the Embraced, and once as a gimmick for a wrestler in the WWE. No way! Oh, yeah, Gangrel. Yeah. Oh my god, of course, I know. <laughs> I never knew there was a link, I just thought, I just thought, oh, that guy's clearly looked up on his vampire lore, somewhere where White Wolf also source some material perhaps that's the, the oh, no, that was an era where the wwe or the wwf episodes had in the credits that gangrel is a registered trademark of white wolf limited oh my god i didn't know that that's amazing yep in all the in all the games and everything i forget what his name i forget what his name was the the, the actual the fellow's name who wrestles under, who used to wrestle under the name gangrel um but he yeah was given the sort of the name Gangrel by the sort of well, we've got this this deal going with White Wolf, and we want to give you this. You know, you've got a vampire gimmick. We could we could work this in with this. Um, and uh, then he went off to uh, make pornography. Yeah, that was David Heath. David Heath. Also, what a nice transition. Yeah, he 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 does it under, under the name the Vampire Warrior. Oh, amazing! <laughs> he, he did also wrestle as Lestat for a while, oh, but I really? don't think that was an officially licensed. He, he, yeah, was, whole, like, he, he was he was he was called Gangrel, but he clearly had the Toreador thing going on. He had the 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 open puffy shirts and black leather trousers and drinking from a chalice and all that. So jazz. he wasn't an accurate Gangrel then. No, I mean that's he the, fought quite a lot like one. How I imagined them, but maybe that's because I unknowingly. 
mix the two in my mind anyway. Yeah. Could I mean, be. His fighting style was mostly DDTs and then turning out the lights and covering people in red paint. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but that's definitely a tangent. It, it really yeah. is. So to return to what you were saying, Rob, um, not only do I not trust players to not try and ruin things, uh-huh. ever, uh, there was also a phenomenal number of people involved in that game. There oh, were. Yeah. There were like 10 of us. Yep. Which is why I ran the whole thing on a system that I tend to use when uh, I'm trying to deal with large numbers and people I haven't necessarily gamed with a huge amount because at the time I ran that campaign, uh, the the game's nights were fairly new still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that system is pretty bulletproof, which is where I develop factions with key players in them that have their own agendas. There are outcomes they want. And that is the plot. The plot is not a series of events. The plot is a struggle between different power bases. And so, obviously, all of those factions are going to pitch to the players as if they are the plot, and they are the one that needs the backing and the help. Yeah. And the players then get to make the decision. They become the kingmakers, which is a really interesting role for players to be in, uh, because I don't know who's going to win. I, I know what the aims of each faction are and what agenda they will try and push if given the opportunity. So I let the players reveal the plot to me as it goes, as they give or deny those opportunities to the different factions. Definitely. And I think that's uh, and that's something I learned from you. I mean, an- another bit of World 1 Stage 1 Dangerously Unprepared history here. I mean, this this is the game where I, I met Simon, Um this was the first vampire game I'd ever been in. This was the first game I'd ever been that wasn't D&D, basically. And I remember finding that sense of freedom incredible because uh, being an incredibly chaotic uh, and insane character, it just allowed me to just uh, basically just go nuts, like literally go nuts. And it was fine. Whatever I did was just uh, another catalyst for more stories, as with all the other players. So that was a great way to run that game, Simon. Yes, and I, I admit I had a certain bias because, of course, one of the key players was a former character of mine. Uh, so I definitely pushed Zia's agenda above other agendas. <laughs> uh, yes, and she did win. So Yes, but you also made her thoroughly terrifying. <laughs> so I did not want to do business with her. No, no, you did not, uh, which amused me no end. Um she was also, as players interfered with things more and more, uh, certain players may have slightly exploded at the end of that particular campaign. Yep. Which, I, it was a very satisfying one for me, as certain people did certain things, and I went, you're on the list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that really makes you sound like a sociopath. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Zia was my character. Well, I, yeah. I think there's definitely that streak in me. <laughs> I'm not going to deny it. Uh, so, yeah, and then it was popular enough that it was revisited, and the only thing I could do was transplant it to another city and come up with a whole new set of factions and a whole new set of agendas, um, and that worked surprisingly well. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, and and let's face it. I mean, that is 
that is the game for like the uh, the sort of social intrigue really and the backstabbing like that is the game to play for that sort of thing and and to uh, give a little insight into being a gm there you're always torn uh because a good rpg is not competitive between the players and the gm it should be cooperative between the players and the gm but at the same time the gm has to provide the conflict and the conflict has to be threatening if it's to mean anything but at the same time you could so easily just wipe out a party and it would mean nothing so finding that balance is always delicate oh yeah um but there was a moment in the new york campaign of the vampire chronicles in particular that will always stick with me in terms of a player just not taking the hint uh which was one of the players no one here present i'm happy to say uh, okay, I was going to say, I, I was pretty sure you were going to mention me here, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Honestly, everything you did about announcing your violations of the masquerade on national television were hilarious. Yes. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, that was entirely down to you. This was more, one of our players uh, went to visit a group of mages. Now, it had already been made clear that mages were not like normal humans. They are dangerous. They are magical, and you are not magical. Therefore, their magic should be feared. It was then made clear that these mages specialized in fire magic, which fire bad for vampires. Fire and I was giving all these subtle hints that maybe you on your own versus a pack of fire mages. Bad plan. Back away. Back away. Uh, so when he decided to basically get up in their faces and threaten them and sort of basically told them to bring it on, uh, well, they kind of had to, and he incinerated. So sometimes you you have to balance it and make sure that there's no real possibility of harm, and sometimes you just have to set someone on fire. Absolutely, but like you say, Simon, like there has to be... There has to be tangible threat because then there's no drama. And if there is no drama, then no one cares. So it's the right it's the right thing to do. And you've got to fight like they have a brain, because otherwise, you know, then you just feel like you're fighting stupid people, which again isn't very fun. So yeah, that's a good bit of advice for anyone running a game, I think. Yeah, pretty much. And if you're gonna have them fight stupid people, have it be a game where you've got orcs involved. Oh, yeah, there is definitely justification for fighting stupid people. Sometimes that's hilarious. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, like, for <laughs> overarching um, sort of, uh, like, goals throughout the actual game, I mean, like, yeah. And even orcs can be cunning in their way, oh, you yeah. know? Cunning, if not tactical geniuses. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, a greater example of sometimes you just have to smack the player down comes from uh, the the legendary D and D campaign run between the founders of ID Software, uh, from which a lot of the ID Software lore comes. Yeah. Which uh, John Carmack, the uh, the engineering genius behind Doom and Quake and such, had meticulously planned out a D and D campaign, and it had. He'd invested like a year of his life into this thing, and the players had been playing it for six months. Uh, and John Romero, the, the artistic vision behind uh, um, Doom and Quake and such, and Daikatana, uh, yes, 
was presented in game with a choice. There was a powerful demon. He, as a player, possessed an artifact the demon wanted. In return, the demon would uh, grant him uh, power. <laughs> the the Daikatana, the the great weapon for which a game was named after, if I'm correct. <laughs> Indeed, uh, <laughs> although there was the distinct possibility that the demon would use the artifact to destroy the world. Mm. So John Romero gambled that John Carmack had invested so much of his time, like 18 months at this point, of his life, into this story that he wouldn't just let the game end on the mm. demon ending the world. He was trying to meta the game. Yeah. Uh, of course, John Carmack is a very literal fellow, rolled a dice, decided that the probability had occurred, and the game ended, and the world ended. <laughs> well, that's fair, and I think that's a lesson, because if you're gonna if you're going to meta game, then you've got to... You know, you've got to then assess your t- and think to yourself, why am I playing this game? Like, if you want to be a character, if you want to role-play a character, but then still use knowledge you wouldn't know unless, you know, you're playing a game and you know you're playing a game, then what's the point? So I think that was a, a good call. Yeah, metagaming is an interesting one in RPGs. Um, Definitely. Metagaming is just that. It is using knowledge that you as a player possess that your character would not possess, to inform your decisions. So in this instance, Romero knew how much work John Carmack had put into the game, and he let that inform his decision rather than basing it on what his character would do. That is a perfect example of metagaming. Uh, One of the best uh, ways for a a GM to deal with metagaming I've ever seen was in a fantasy setting. Uh, When the character seemed to know too much... Uh, they became suspected of witchcraft. Huh. That's that that's genius. That's uh, an accusation which pursued them in a very hostile way throughout that's the campaign. A, that's incredible. That's so, that is absolutely genius. Uh, oh, I'm going to steal 40K, you, you accuse them of being a psycho. How did you know this? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Oh, I might have to try, might have to try and remember this if I ever run uh, Only War again. Oh yeah, that'd be good. It would feel right you were well there. behaved in that. You were you were incredibly well behaved in in Only War for the most part. Uh, it, tell us tell us about Only War because it's an, yes. it's, a, it's a very different setting to Vampire it and is. it's a very us setting and I like it. Yeah, and Go, since, Jack. Since, since the days of Vampire when when I was playing characters left, right, and center. Since, mostly, it's since since you moved away, Simon. I have been running game after game after game after game, and I. Really, really enjoying running campaigns nowadays. Um, you are the campaign king in our area. Yeah, it's 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 a burden I must bear. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the one of the latest ones that I've ever managed to complete, uh, Only War, the tie-in 40k uh, RPG where you play as the fighting men and women of the Imperial Guard, uh, traveling across vast distances of space and and subspace to die in a war against an enemy you've never heard of on a planet you've never seen on a map uh, for a cause you can't possibly comprehend uh, for people who will never remember you. It's, oh, this game. Yeah, it could and be I, very, yeah. very depressing. But Yes, I like, I like the setting because in a universe where almost everything in the game, the smallest representatives of most armies 
can be described as nine feet tall and armor plated. Yeah, and made of battle. Uh, and and you are a a, a bloke. Flashlight. Yeah. You've got a little laser pistol, a little laser gun that could basically just in the in the law it can, you know, punch a hole through armor on the tabletop, it is basically a flashlight. And you've got your cardboardium armor, and you've got your dog tags, and your book of what to do if things go wrong. And balls of steel. Just just regardless of what else is going on, you 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 don't complain, you go forward and you attack. And I thought, looking at uh, 40k in general about you know there, there is this element of oh it's all grim dark and it's all holiness and 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 uh, all this kind of weird law going on and, and heresy and that this that and the other I thought, that that's kind of fun but it doesn't really interest me so much like games like death watch and um, dark, uh, dark heresy which is all about like looking into the dark underside of, of the the 41st millennium and, and being an inquisitorial agent. And I thought, well, that, that's, that's all well and good, but here we've got the game Only War, which, based on the name alone, is you know supposed to be the most violent and, and epic battle-based uh, of the games. You are playing soldiers, you know, grunts, uh, ready to march onto the front line. But I thought, well, this, this is you playing the most average people being put into very unaverage situations. This could be a, a you know a chance for a whole lot of fun with this. If I if I if I tweak some things and have a look at this, what could we accomplish with this? So, I started looking into building a world with, with you, the, the way you do character creation with with Only War is you as players and uh, and games master sit down and discuss what your world is going to be like, what what where these characters have come from, and then you just something I quite appreciate about the latest crop of. 40k inspired RPGs is that shared investment like in Rogue Trader where you're all playing the crew of a spaceship mm. like the first stage of character well no the last stage of character creation I guess is uh, the players pool their resources and along with the GM design the ship which I love because it makes the ship its own sort of character mm. and, and definitely you- You've got element. You can use uh, pre-existing worlds like your Cadians and your Catachans and and Death Corps of Krieg, that sort of stuff. Um, but I thought, well, it'd be much more fun if we just build one from scratch and see how this world goes. And we we went with one of the most basic ones there, so it wasn't anything particularly special. You know, they weren't like a penal legion. They weren't from a they weren't from a world where all the the vegetation was trying to eat and kill them. Um, that sort of thing. They were basically just from a regular world. And, and the story for it was that they uh, this this world had been cut off by by storms by by storms in the warp uh, shortly after being colonized. So for the last ten thousand years or so, they've been cut off from other humanity and they've forgotten their history. So as far as they're aware, they're alone in the galaxy, and they've regressed to a to a feudal society and then built their way back up and then had a civil war and regressed and built their way back up. So they've reached about the point of you know first world war tech. When suddenly, on the on uh, during the middle of one of their great global conflicts, the heavens open, and enormous shuttles just start landing all over the planet. Just these huge flying ships just start landing all over the planet, and off off these ships come people who look somewhat like the locals, but you know dressed very strangely, and say, "Oh hi, um, we're the Imperium. You're part of oh, that." Oh hi, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, you're going to come. You're going to come with us, uh, and we're going to need you to become part of the Imperium. And we're going to need you to start putting together a, a, a soldiers for an army to go and fight aliens. Oh, by the way, aliens exist. Um, 
So yeah, these the, the the characters we had were basically the first tithing. They were the first cream of the crop to be sent out into space to fight aliens. But as far and as we I... were aware, yep, oh, yep. Sorry, all I was going to say, dude, and it's it's about this is that um that is one because I I had the good fortune of playing in this game, and that was one of the things I instantly fell in love with because when you when you consider the forty k universe, you know you hear about you know. Um, in the grim darkness of the future, there is only war. That's the, the that's the tag. But on this one rare occasion for this planet, for this collection of people, this was essentially a first contact war, which I absolutely adored. And they'd had all these descriptions, which I'm sure Jack will go into, oh, yeah. about the particular aliens, which like horrifically makes them underestimate who they're going up against, which I Did adored. you by any chance use the descriptions in the infantryman's uplifting primer? Every yes. Imperial Guardsman must have an Imperial inf Infantryman's uplifting primer, so I made sure to have the prop ready, and it was their only source of uh, information on the enemy. I think this, this is a, a genius use of Games Workshop's publications, because <laughs> the infantryman's uplifting primer is an in-universe item. It is something, as Jack says, that every infantryman must have about their person, and it is a book full of lies and propaganda. <laughs> and Games Workshop actually published it. They produced a sort of half-width, uh, slim volume of the primer, complete with its deceptively underselling descriptions of all the alien races that's designed to make these infantrymen believe they have a hope in hell when they do not. Yep. Uh, it, it's interesting because in, in your sort of service history sheet, uh, the average infantryman maybe doesn't notice that there are half as many spaces for uh, theatres of war you've served in as there are crippling injury description spaces. <laughs> um and, and yes, because it has been published, you can pass it around a bunch of only war players and go, this this is what you know yep. going into this fight yes. about what you are going to face. This is what you know. This is what you believe. I remember, re I remember reading the section because like you handed it around in like the first session and I, I didn't realize that that book was like that. I thought it was just like a standard uh, Warhammer publication that just gave yeah. you information about different stuff about the Imperium. And I'm reading it and it like... <laughs> And it, it talks about the orcs, which we knew we were going to be facing, or potentially yeah. going to be facing at some point. And it, I, I can't remember the exact description. Jack will probably be able to tell you it. But essentially, it says, these things are big, but they're equally as stupid, and they're not nearly as hard, uh, as, hard as they look. Like, it's like, you know, one shot and they'll go down, that kind of thing. And you're like, oh, this can't be too bad. As uh, my character was a sniper, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll be able to kill a bunch of these things before they even get close to me, you know? No problem. And the reality of the situation, like, slowly begins to dawn on our party as we come into contact with these creatures, and it was just amazing. Well, the thing is, I, I loved the, the double feint, essentially, I managed to pull with that, is that because the, the, the picture in the book for orcs, uh, the, the creature itself is maybe about five feet tall, and it's this yeah. tiny, tiny little squat thing that a guardsman is essentially just shoving with his bayonet. Fuck off! Um... So when you landed and did eventually get to see Greenskins for the first time, it was Grotz. You saw you saw essentially space goblins, who are yeah. small and slight, and they run away easily, and they they go down easy in a fight. Sure. So you saw them first, and you fought a bunch, and of they them. fit the description of orcs. Yeah, and you're like, wait, well, hey, this is actually not too bad. All right, we're going to pull through this. 
So the first time they saw orcs charging towards them with weapons raised and screaming at the top of their lungs and charging down a hill, all seven foot tall and made of rippling muscle, <laughs> it really <laughs> fucked them up. <laughs> yeah, I can we had... understand why that could be that way. Yeah. Um, Not to mention we were, because we were a tank um Yes, this, um, this is what really, really um, threw me, because, again, it, I'm really glad it worked out this way, because the way we built the world, um, essentially, the, the little backstory of the world was that in that time, the 10,000 years they'd been cut off, they got a massive population of psychers, and yet no issues with, you know, denizens of the warp, no, no demonic possessions, no weirdness going on, just they had a lot of psychers. The psychers huh. formed the, the ruling caste of the planet. It was a, a majocracy, but in the future... Uh, then, the, then the Imperium turned up and go, hey guys, we're going to bring you back into the fold and oh my god, why are all these people psychic? Right. That's a lot of heresy! And so they locked yes. up the entire ruling caste of the planet and sent them off to go and get sanctioned. And going, well shit, we've, we've locked up all the people in charge of this planet, uh, I guess we're going to have to place you under a military governor for now until we can figure out what the fuck happened here. Um, so that that's a really nice touch. Yeah. It was it little bits and pieces there, like why why these these things worked out the way they did, but the way we built it because they were World War One tech specifically, like trench warfare. I was expecting yeah. them all to be line fighters, you know, all standing shoulder to shoulder with rifles and like heavy heavy flak armor and grenades, that sort of thing, in a trench. And they all opted to be a hunter killer squad. Which means their starting equipment was very, very limited. It was like a pistol, a close combat weapon, and some rations. But with, uh, pooled between the party, they also had a Hellhound flamethrower tank. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the we thing? sure did. Wow. Yeah, what was it called, Jack? Oh, right. This is the wonderful thing. It was like, their world did not have flamethrower tanks. So I had to figure out a way to get them to have one. And over the course of the opening session, the various characters, uh, including a naval commissar, uh, Rob Sniper, who was basically uh, Edmund Blackadder from Blackadder Goes Forth. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it, was, it was basically, it was, uh, imagine Blackadder Goes Forth, but set in yeah. the 40k universe. That was what the And against was. orcs. Yeah. Yes, that's that basically what it was. Exactly what, what campaign was. Pretty much. It had that sort of level of comedy. We had... Uh, Blackadder goes orc. Yeah, we had... Yes. We had a, <laughs> a no-nonsense sergeant. We had a, a telepath. Oh, well, a, a, a psyker. Um, I'm trying to think who else we had. We had uh, oh, we had uh, the, the doctor, the medic, who got, who got kidnapped by orcs at some point. Um... Yeah. I'm trying to think who I missed. Um, there was, I'm sure there was someone else. We had a Sarge. Yeah, we had the Sarge and the Commissar and, and, and the Sniper. And yeah. the Commissar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you had all these, these wonderful little bits and pieces. What I love about Only War as well is that you ha when you make your character, you also make a pet NPC for them. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. So basically, if you're a, if you're a heavy weapons user, you have a loader. If you're a medic, you have uh, a sort of a, an aide, you have a, a nurse or a, a, a triage um, helper. Um, if you're a, a, a tech priest, you have a servitor. And some characters don't have um, uh, characters alongside them, they just get extra perks here and there. Um, but you have to randomly roll for people's personalities. My, one of my favorite things about that random personality chart was A, that Rob's sniper had someone to follow him around who got the little perk that meant essentially Rob could change weapons as a free action. It was essentially a gun caddy. 
So yeah. Rob, Rob could snipe someone with his sniper rifle, then just chuck it to the side and yell, give me a three wood, and they'd give him like his regular las gun for more close combat fighting. That's um, amazing. But his caddy had the, the character trait uh, talkative. Oh. <laughs> so while Rob is lining up a, a sniper shot, I'm essentially doing my best impression of Nick Frost from uh, Hot Fuzz. <laughs> this, it, it's a young Game. yeah a, a young um sort of rookie fighter who's never actually seen warfare he was a bit too young to get into the conflicts before the imperium turned up <laughs> so whilst rob is lining up his sights he just hears his little voice next to him is it true that there is a part in a man's head where if you shoot it it will explode yeah. <laughs> and every time every time i'm like i'm obviously hanging back i'm obviously trying to be sly optimized stealth mode and there's this who we just decided to call him Caddy. Yeah. So Caddy is just like yamming my ear off when I'm trying to be sly, like <laughs> drawing all attention to me. So um, and uh, and and you have certain comedy elements. To yeah, that. and and the fact that uh, uh, Private Garibaldi, the the uh, the minder, like yes, he was he was the psyker's overseer. So if you're a psyker, your pet NPC's <laughs> job is to shoot you if you start showing perils of the warp. All right. Yeah. And I rolled the random personality trait for the Overseer for the Psyker, and I got Maverick. <laughs> yes. Which essentially means this, that his one job is to shoot the Psyker if the Psyker starts summoning demons by accident. But this is the man who would see the Psyker, like, gibbering in tongues, blood flushing out of his ears and, like, writhing around on the floor, and would say, let's see how this plays out. I've got a good feeling about this. <laughs> the guy made it rain blood and he still didn't shoot him. Yep. Through, through, through various random things going on. But essentially, this cast of characters managed to piss off people something rotten. And so we got uh, set on a new duty, which was uh, they would be assigned to Old Smokey. The Valhallen Regiment's... Uh, mascot hellhound flame tank uh it needed a good lick of paint and uh, it was going to be a nice little little uh, milestone because they were going to be the 50th crew of old smoky in her lifetime the average it was a bit yeah, the average <laughs> it was a crew, bit leaky the, the average crew lasted i think it was 17 minutes in combat <laughs> so all you had to do was get it to 18 minutes and you were breaking a record <laughs> Um, and yeah, so uh, they had, I think their first job was to go and, well, Rob's first job was to go and paint the tank. Yes. Which is why throughout the entire campaign, in his equipment, Rob was carrying around two buckets of green paint. Which, I might add, came in handy, came in handy because we ended up facing off against... And I had this, I had this bucket of paint the entire time, and every session I'd say, oh, and I'd make a joke about my bucket of paint, you know, whatever. <laughs> And then in the last session, we, uh, well, do you want to tell it, uh, Jack, as well, so it's I'll, sort of your storyline? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll just sort of go through the plot. Basically, they, they were all put together to go and save a planet that had been overrun by aliens. And they were like, well, we know that this world has got a bit of an alien problem. It, they, they're, in, they're sort of indigent to this planet. Um, these, these feral creatures that basically run around with bows and arrows and swords and clubs, mostly. Um, but luckily, the, the local human population has laser cannons, so you can tell how the conflict usually goes. So the fact that they've got a message saying, oh, we've been overrun by enemies, you're like, oh, okay, but there's clearly something weird's gone on here, and then they lost all contact. So I was like, right, we're going to go and sort this out. And they go over there, and they've got the help of uh, the Salamander's chapter of Space Marines, 
So they see a space marine for the first time, but from the back of the hall. So they just see a big greenish shape at the front of the uh, the hall, giving a speech. But he looks damn impressive, standing all tall in his power armor and everything. And uh, such and such happens. There's a bit of a, an issue on the ship as they go into the warp, and the Geller field breaks down, which basically means uh, you've gone into subspace, you've gone into into warp space, and you've You've gone in essentially naked. Your, your ship is unprotected. If you've seen Event Horizon... Yeah, it's, it's that. It's exactly that. Right, okay. Uh, so, whilst they're supposed to be making a nice little trip, and none of them really know what is supposed to happen when you go into the warp, uh, suddenly the walls start bleeding, and they all start hearing voices, and the Psyker suddenly starts his teeth chattering, and like his eyes rolling back into his skull, and, and then demons start happening. I mean, they never actually see anything, but they certainly hear a lot of shit. So they all decide that the best bet to do would be to bail out. So they all get to a shuttle and try and bail out. And I love that this is not metagamed, because they were right in the middle of the warp at the time. <laughs> and the average shuttle does not have a Geller field. Yeah, so they would have been, like, eight or nine random spots in their card. Adrift in a hell dimension. In a, in a, in a dingy little tube, shut into hell. <laughs> But yeah, I didn't in. think about that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was an explosion, and then everyone blacked out. And when they woke up, they were on a planet. It was snowing, and they were uh, surrounded by flaming wreckage. And as they, they woke up and explored, they were, they were basically surrounded by the burning wreck of the ship that they'd been sent in on. Or parts of it, anyway. And they, they looked around and got all their gear together. Basically, they'd been assigned tactical gear. Um... And I'd let them, like, the way I was planning this out, I was like, well, they're not going to get a chance to sort of uh, talk to the, the quartermaster or anything like that. So uh, I don't know how to get them their, uh, their equipment. And I thought, oh, no, I've, got, I've got this. So as they were looking through the, the, um, the flaming wreckage, anything that they had requested on their character sheet turned up in a box somewhere. They were able to find it. And uh, so they got their equipment and they found Old Smokey. Specifically, Old Smokey was suspended from a big beam uh, on on some extra floor of the ship when the ship had crashed, and at an opportune moment, fell off that beam and crashed into a whole bunch of little goblins that they were attacking. I think you'll find I shot the cable holding it, which oh, made yes. it fall on them. Yes. <laughs> I was a good and sniper, that was all I was you, good at. You dropped a tank on them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And and so began the adventure of the 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 uh, Numenaren first, uh, traveling across country to try and find any sign of human civilization, tracking things with their radio. But all they could pick up on the radio uh, was the same distress call that had been sent out and brought them there in the first place. And it was on all the stations. Do you remember that, Rob? Yes, um, and uh, this was really cool. Like, um, I like it when uh, this kind of thing happens in a game. Jack definitely did um, did go in all in for this. Uh, Jack gave me uh, a couple of about a week before the game. Jack said, "Do you mind um, recording something for me?" Uh, and I was like, "Okay." And he he sent me this uh, basically a script for me to basically uh, record this distress call. Um, I uh, did it in a Scottish accent, I think. Um, <laughs> but it was really cool because then Jack took this recording um, 
and did some wicked editing with it and like basically made it all crackly and there were sort of weird disturbing noises underlining sort of the recording and stuff to make it like a proper horror film sort of like audio log that you find in the rubble it was really cool event horizon yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah Exactly. It's funny how much of a 40k game can be summed up with if you've seen Event Horizon. Yeah. It was it was a really nice touch though, and it, it is important as well. Oh yes, it is. So yeah, Rob had this this edited script that he read from, and I blacked out certain words so they were covered in static during the the uh, the actual playing of them. You couldn't quite figure out the whole message, other than help. There's lots of things. Come and help us fight them. Um. So anyway, they they eventually find human civilization after a couple of run-ins with the orcs um and the, the humans are okay they're fine no we've got no orc problem here they, they've got they've got bows and arrows and and clubs we have flamers we're we're quite happy thank you very much so the crew are a little bit confused and they say well if you need to try and figure out and get a, a message off planet your best bet is to go over to the old uh, tech priest Hide out. Go up to the the um, the admech. They went. Oh, okay, cool. So they they drive across the mountain range, and they go and they see the tech priests who basically say, "Oh, this is a bit weird. There's some there's some warp problems going on. Basically, stuff that these characters can't quite figure out. They get a message out, but they're only able to get it to one one ship that's orbiting overhead. And they 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 then start heading back. They're right. We can't do anything here. Let's let's go back to the town. See what we can do there. Bunch of shit happens, they get uh, ambushed by orcs, one of the characters gets kidnapped and has to fight his way back. Unfortunately, it's the medic, uh, who has to go all sort of gorilla behind the lines. Nice. Uh, then uh, they, they, they end up meeting a space marine, which was nice. That, that really helped you guys out. As a, a, a guy lands and starts blaring every enemy in sight and yelling for the emperor in his, in his greenish armor. Uh, and uh, I, I, what I specifically did was say, oh, you've got the Salamanders chapter helping you out uh, at the beginning, who wear green armor and are super duper good guys. And it was a little little nod that I don't think anyone picked up on, because, like again, it's, it's like weird little 40k lore. There is a legion of space marines out there who wear greenish armor and have the battle cry for the Emperor called the Alpha Legion. <laughs> and the Alpha Legion are not super duper good guys. Well, I mean, if you ask the Alpha Legion, they will say, "I am Alpharius," and that they are super duper good guys. Yes, absolutely. But also, they're not super duper bad guys. It is basically impossible to tell what their fucking deal is. We didn't know this. You absolutely had no idea, and I w- didn't tell you he was from the Alpha Legion. You just you noticed, okay, he's nine feet tall, and he's got big green power armor on, and he's shouting for just the Emperor. Saved our ass. He saved our ass. Cool. All right, he's on our side. And they end up going back to to the town. It's been overrun. Uh, they basically start putting two and two together and realizing that the the warp storm that they caused also sucked in an orc ship, like a, a space orc ship, who had also crash landed. And had basically found themselves surrounded by their own little feral cousins, and started arming the populace. Nice. So none of this would have happened if they hadn't come here in the first place. They they essentially caused the armed orc uprising. Huh. That's really cool. Yeah. 
So they go into the town. Terrifying. They go into the town and no one's there. They go to the uh, the the uh, governor's mansion. Seems deserted, and they find a little secret uh, elevator down into the pits. And that's you know it's into the pits. That's you know that's not going to go well. Oh. And they start exploring around and finding odd people in 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 uh, for lack of a better term fetish gear and carrying knives running around, uh, brandished right. with weird symbols into their flesh. And they start going, well, what the fuck is going on? And until it, it eventually turns out that uh, well, they all get separated, and Private Garibaldi uh, manages to get name. out. He manages to get out a distress call. And I then play my own version of the distress call. The distress call that I got uh, Rob to record, but in full and without the edited dialogue. Oh, without all the static over the top of it. And it turns out the ho- the call that they had heard to send them on this mission was actually the call that they had put out, and they'd basically been shot into the past. Oh, I so there was this whole self, you know, self sustaining loop, which I think it is. It is, I believe, I didn't know this until after I'd run the game. This is actually a plot in forty in a forty k black library novel, or so I'm told. <laughs> Essentially, when you go into the warp and you start traveling through space, time can get very, very strange. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you can arrive. It's definitely a Star Trek plot. It's definitely a plot of a couple of sci-fi. Yeah, it's it's not a new it's, idea. It's not. It's it's a fun one to play with. Yeah, especially when you don't know it's happening to you in a game. Um, but that's the thing. Like I was super impressed. Is it very? Yeah, it's a lot easier to do that in a controlled narrative like a TV show. But it's a lot harder to do when you're dealing with people that can make any decision you want, but you managed to pull it off anyway, man. So, um, yeah, yeah I was super impressed with that. Can I quickly tell, say the thing about the green paint? Uh, yep, yeah, that was the next thing, but I'd rather you... You came across the big boss of the game, and the thing about the big boss of the game <laughs> is you weren't going to be able to beat it. it. It was literally a no-win scenario. Your, yeah, I your, got that. Your, your mission objective, you know, was flee the Citadel. It was it was, it was was get, get the fuck out of there. You weren't supposed to beat and kill this thing. And I will point out, they didn't beat and kill the thing, but... No. <laughs> they did face it down, which, considering it was a greater demon, I was very impressed. And, uh... Young, uh, young Master... Oh, what, was, what was your, what was your uh, character's name, Rob? Oh, um... Oh, God. Uh, it was after Enfield. a rifle. Enfield. Enfield, that's right. Uh, faced down this monster as it was charging... And looked to me and went, Jack, I have green paint in my inventory. <laughs> I'm going to make a thrown weapon attack. And finally the green paint came in handy as, as Sergeant Enfield, the dead eye of the party, flung a pot of paint into the face of a demon. Oh, no, I, was the sto- I thought it was the space marine. Oh shit! No, yes, you're right. No. It, it covered his helmet. Like the yeah. the spaceman was trying to kill us too. There was there was a there was another marine down there. There was a, an Empress Children marine. Yeah, running like around like a lunatic down in the, in, in the pits. And uh, yeah, and you, like, got it, you got it yeah, all over his visor. The paint on his visor, so he couldn't see, which it, brought us the time to escape, which I was really happy about. It literally blinded him for a couple of seconds until his visor could get cleared. But those seconds yeah. where you need to get the fuck out of there, get back in the tank and escape. And I had it the whole time. Yep. 
and you escaped and through some bizarre stuff going on managed to get your way back to the present um and the uh and joined in with the combat and when it was all over and said and done you guys all got inducted into the inquisition yay or did you i love when little character quirks like that green paint pay off yeah yes i wasn't expecting it to i really wasn't expecting <laughs> it was i i just <laughs> had it i saw an opportunity i was like oh, screw it i've had this paint the whole campaign this is a do or die situation and thankfully it paid off and the best part is you ruined that empress children's armored paint job like they are really yes. happy with their pink and black and everything and you just put green all over his bloody helmet <laughs> yeah. Matt green it was like a horrible it was like camouflage green wasn't it yeah like olive drab yeah 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 <laughs> and, that, and that was the story of the numenaren first yay yeah that it was, was a good one because it's it's important to have those little character quirks and personalities because they bring the characters to life uh but sometimes they can go horribly horribly wrong and i'm thinking of um another 40k game i played in down here uh, because we were playing Rogue Traders, uh, which, you know, as we mentioned before, you, you form the crew of a spaceship, generally the retinue of an Inquisitor. Inquisitors being these incredibly powerful, um, self-guiding authoritarian figures of the Empire set to seek out and crush heresy and demons and the like. Uh, now, I was playing an Adeptus Sororitas which is a battle nun, basically. Uh, a religiously zealoted, uh, terrifying warrior woman in power armor. Not quite Space Marine level power armor, but close. And the character creation had certainly driven her down a particular path to the point that I went to the GM and I was like, okay, she's a zealot by... Sister of Battle standards. I I just want to clear this with you, <laughs> because I will play her to character. And, and like, when you're creating a character in Rogue Trader, one of the interesting things is you have this sort of path of uh, your homeworld, your schooling, your call to adventure, and what's happened to you that um, distinguishes your character and adds a little flavour. And she'd come out of that as incredibly pious, incredibly faithful, and her call to adventure was her sense of duty to the Emperor, um, leading her to have all these benefits of unshakable faith and uh, basically being impossible to intimidate, uh, but a fanatical and literal reading of devotion to the Emperor, so very little tolerance for heresy, and we did have a psyche in the party. So I was like, is this okay? Because I will play her to character and that I can see that could cause problems. And the GM was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And everything went fine for a while. There were a lot of crosswords between my sister and the Psyker, uh, in which I, I repeatedly informed the Psyker in no uncertain terms that they would behave or I would shoot them in the head. It's fair. I think so. And it all went well until we were in the lower levels of a hive on a, a, a distant world 
full of scum that I had been cheerily shooting in the head, basically following through as half nun, half judge dread, the sentence is death. Um, much to the chagrin of my party, who were mostly shadier characters and didn't quite like seeing imperial justice meted out so cheerfully and frequently. <laughs> yeah, I was paladining it up. And then we were confronted with a blood letter. A, a demon of corn erupted in the middle of this street. And the, the idea that the GM had had for this encounter was that we would run away. Which, you know, that's a fair assumption to make. Indeed, the rest of the party all massively failed their morale checks and ran the fuck away. But not me. Not she of the unshakable faith who planted her feet, declared the emperor, that my faith in my emperor is my shield, and raised a bolt pistol and began firing at a blood letter. <laughs> I'm sure that's who well. me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, this is where the GM could have just let me die. And I'll be honest, should have just let me die. <laughs> it's not if you hear that whole just like, why won't you let me die? Because unfortunately, the, the back of the envelope quick improvised plan to save me was our Inquisitor was not a player character. Our Inquisitor was a GM-controlled NPC who was not with us ever. We basically sent us off to do our own thing because he was far too important and powerful. Powerful being the key word. Because the, the quick improvisation, oh god, one of my characters is going to die at a time I didn't intend them to, was to have our Inquisitor, who did monitor our progress, sub uh, decide to take that moment to directly interfere with our mission for the first time and channel his abilities through our Psyker. So our Psyker summons up a ridiculously powerful psychic attack to drive the bloodletter off for a moment so that everyone could grab me and drag me away. So I am dragged away and then promptly shoot the psyker in the head. Oh, Christ. Because there is no way our psyker, <laughs> sanctioned as they were, should have been able to do that. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's that's poetic. Yep. So, really, had the GM thought about my character for a moment, they'd have realised they're losing a player either way. That's excellent. But in fairness, <laughs> like that's that's cool because you you stuck to your guns in terms of your character. Literally stuck to your guns. Um, that's awesome. It was one of those moments that happens in RPGs where I roll a successful attack on a fellow player, and I apologize while they're laughing. <laughs> I li I like At least they the, laughed about yeah, it. Yeah, when you get the good humor of it, that's the, that's the important thing. Yeah, because yeah. PvP can be a touchy, a touchy subject. I mean, um, let's be honest, I, I cannot stress enough how much I'd played this character as a spike-up-the-ass, rigid paladin of the Emperor's Wrath to this point. Like, I had been very clear about my willingness to shoot the psyker at a moment's notice <laughs> <laughs> just give me a reason oh that's excellent that's fantastic excellent. 
Irish, do you have a story? Um, nothing of that kind of level, really. I mean, the only main game I've ever run has been my uh, my short-lived game for now of a run of Avatar. Oh, as yeah. In, as in The Last Airbender. Where I was running the game as you can make your own character set in the world but you're basically playing the plot of the series. So the key characters are there but you sort of fill in the roles and yeah I mean it's been a while so I can't really remember much about what happened but it was a good laugh while it lasted the guy the only guy that can't come back and play is Mike yeah but I can figure something out for that but considering that I think every character bar I think Mike was the only character who wasn't a bender I, I, you know what? It's been years. It has been years, and I still can't crack. I still can't not crack up when I did as well. <laughs> like, I, got it. I did as well. I really oh, tried. No. It's like it's terrible. I love, I love the shows. Yeah, I love the Avatar shows, but I still smirk a little bit every time they yeah. say the word bender, and it's so unfortunate. It's because it's such a dated word as well. Like it's one you don't yeah. hear that often, isn't it? Like it's uh, a real schoolyard word. Yeah. You know? How did you think it is? How did you think I felt? I had Adam playing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh bless. And this oh, character was really good actually. Oh, excellent. Everyone oh, playing really cool. actually played their characters really well. In yeah, narrow. I remember hearing about that campaign and there's one there are many games that I've missed out on through moving down to London, but that is one I really, really regretted missing out on. Yeah, we didn't. So we still didn't. I can't remember how far we got. I have to dig out the notes because Adam was our resident note taker. I was actually compiling the games down uh, so we could look back at it once we were done, see how they had progressed. Have to dig those out and see if uh, people are interested in getting back into playing again. Mm, kind of, okay. kind of fell, it kind of fell out because of uh, people's commitments and stuff came into the foreground. Always the way, though, isn't it? Yeah. Like real life is a is a beast for ruining tabletop RPGs. <laughs> um, right. Well, I, I've got something that I want to mention about D and D, but I want to save it to the end because it's kind of something that I want to plug. I mean, but, um, I would like to hear about Rob's uh, Star Wars game. Well, that's the, that, what what I was going to say is there are two things that I can talk about that I think you guys will find interesting. Uh, one of them is yes, yeah, Star Wars. The other one, uh, which Jack can help me with as well, is Numenera, which we Ooh, did say to Simon yeah. we would tell him about because Ooh. I think oh. you've you've expressed some interest in that game, and I think yeah. we and, can uh, use this. You do I just want to riff off of what Irish was just saying? No, no, you go first then. By all means, she's. I really enjoy that sort of, it's not quite a genre or subgenre of RPG, but it's a conceit that I've seen done a few times of take a well-known narrative and then run a parallel story or 
sort of take the same starting premise but replace the primary characters with the players mm. um it it's a really interesting thing going back to what we were saying about meta gaming because of course if the players are familiar with the source material then there's the possibility for some very constructive meta gaming there because you do know what the bad guys agendas are um and it's a great way also to instill fear in your players because i don't know if i mentioned this on the last one but i've played in a game with the same concept <coughs> where you are put into a familiar world as the as the protagonist replacing the protagonist and this was uh when one of our gms in a group i play with down here had us all roll up uh well uh japanese school children uh start yep who were then taken to nerve hq oh my god <laughs> and introduced to their avas oh my god and That's we hilarious. were told what show we were doing just that we were doing an anime and asked to make school kids and we were like okay there's that's a lot of shows and the GM in question is very, very fond of magical girl shows. So we were like, okay, it's probably going to be like a Sailor Moon or something. Yeah. And then it's like, here are your Ava units. What? Oh, I, I, I don't want one. <laughs> <laughs> Did you in fact have to, to get in the fucking robot? You <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and it's that sense of welcome to the first time we're sitting down to play this game and already the players feel utterly crushed and doomed because they know what's coming you know that that actually reminds me and that's something that i'll talk about because it was a one shot and it was one that uh again uh when when you have when you're using a well-known franchise to your advantage i was thankfully playing in this game and we were basically in a low-tech sci-fi setting in a space-faring universe and we were sent to investigate this planet uh, to basically retrieve, I think it was to retrieve um, some kind of, I don't know, like different uh, organic materials for to be analyzed in a lab later on or something. Um, and we, re we recovered all sorts of different um, elements of life from this planet. And I'm one of these Marines, and um, Jack was actually running this one, um, using a really cool system called... Uh, prime, I think it was the Prime Time Adventures um, uh, system. I think it was anyway. It's basically yeah. Yeah. To, to 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 cut this short. Prime Time Adventures is a is a role playing game that you play with cards. Um, generally speaking, you randomly select a card off the top of a normal, just a, a normal playing card deck. And if it's black, it means one thing. If it's red, it means something else. And the the value has of the card means something as well. So uh, we, we've spent our first day on this planet and uh, we go back to our, our ship and we're exhausted and naturally we all fall into our bunks and we, uh, you know, we, we, we fall asleep. My character has this dreadful dream, this dreadful dream. It's almost like someone is like pushing a pillow over my face, suffocating me, uh, wrenching the life out of me. And then suddenly I wake up with uh, one of my comrades saying, come on, get up, it's time to go back to work go back onto the planet, do a day's work. And all the time, you're, uh, Jack is telling me, oh, you know, you're, you're feeling really bad. Like, you've got this really, really bad stomach pain. And I'm like, right, okay. And it comes, <laughs> it comes to the point where we're at dinner in the mess hall. And all of a sudden, a xenomorph explodes out of the front of my chest. <laughs> and the rest of the game was a survival horror where the rest of my crew that were my friends 
have to defend against me now playing as a xenomorph hunting them down oh that's awesome that was that was one of jack's neat little tricks using an existing narrative to his advantage which i absolutely love because i didn't know i was going to be playing as xenomorph that day but that was, that's a fantastic idea but man it was good fun um that was a and that was just a one shot wasn't it jack yep just just a way to pass an afternoon yeah, I'll be honest, I'm not sure how you could make a campaign of it. Yeah. No, yeah, it didn't last entirely long. Um, the, the first taster session ends and then everyone's a xenomorph and suddenly it's Aliens the RPG. Yes. Get that those was good The rest of the campaign is Aliens trying to work out how to operate a spaceship. <laughs> yes. We yes. tried screaming I mean... at it, we tried biting it, we tried biting it with our second mouth. I stabbed these buttons with my tail, nothing's happened. No. It was... Uh... But no, that was good fun. I will do a sequel sometime where I'll try and fight a predator, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Some of my favourite games in the style that I've played have been like Jack's FMA game, uh, Simon's uh, Gotham PD game. I was oh, quite I wish I'd, that one. I yeah, wish so I'd been in that one. I heard about that one. Even, even a Troy's Star Trek game. I wish I'd been in that one. Yeah. I heard about that one. We did. Oh, we talked about the Maru in the last episode, I believe. I think we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. See um, World 1 stage one. The, yeah. the, the, the way we got around um, the conflicts for that session. How did we By get having conflict? A, I think we mostly just uh, argued. It was a diplomatic, um, diplomatic party. Oh. Remember that uh, on the M-class planet? Yep. Mm. The, was it Romulans? Uh, y- y- there were Romulans there. No, no, um, Cardassians. Ah, yes. So even less likely to listen to us. Yes. <laughs> With giant dinosaur people. Oh, God, yeah. Getting subjugated. Uh, good times. <laughs> I mean, not for them, obviously, but... No. <laughs> yeah, taking, you know, games based on standing concepts can work really well. And I would thoroughly recommend it. If, if there isn't an RPG out there for the, for the thing you want to run, it's super easy to just take a, a system that you like and alter it accordingly. Yeah, yeah. and there are so many generic systems as well. Like, yeah. Primetime Adventures is, it's incredibly low investment. Yes. You need a deck of cards and some bits of paper for people to write some character concepts on. There's almost no rules to Primetime Adventures. Uh, I mean, unless you're playing it the full-on serious way where each character in turn has a scene they're starring in and such. But if you just want to adapt it to being a uh, a conflict resolution system, it's so low investment. Yeah, because the the actual the the full form of the game is um, you're actually putting on a TV show, and you you're given budget and stuff like that, and um, you you are actually your actor who is in the show, uh, kind of aren't you? And you get your like chance to shine. You get like a bit of the spotlight, so you can um, get a boost to your abilities every now and then. Uh, yes, but, yeah. in turn, each character has a starring scene. Yes, uh, where they basically make the the decisions of where the scene is what the purpose of the scene is and who co-stars 
yeah. so it, it's a very cooperative storytelling system. But I mean, we have used it as just the here's the deck of cards and let's use that to resolve the conflict. Yeah, which is, and that's that's why it's so great because it can just be used like that. I mean, uh, equally, I played. Um, I'm, I'm quite lucky that London has a lot of game developers in it. Yeah. So I've play tested a whole bunch of stuff, in, including loads of little indie and very experimental rules light systems. And one, if we're gonna go on to talk about Numenera, it's a good segue. One was a system where you it chose your name, your profession, uh, an item you had, a skill you had, a knowledge you had, and I, I think it might have been a reputation you had, and it, so it was very noir. Uh, it was it was sort of noir cryptids. I suppose was the setting we were running. <laughs> um, so the knowledge could be an occult knowledge. Um, and so I, for example, had, uh, lock picks. I had the profession of journalist. I had a reputation for, um, nosiness. Uh, and it's that old thing of can you use that as an advantage to justify? So like if I'm trying to get in somewhere, I'm not welcome. Uh, I have massive advantage because I'm a nosy person with lockpicks. Try and keep me out. Um, but if I'm trying to uh, justify why I'm in a place I shouldn't be to the police, it's a big disadvantage because, uh, oh, you're that nosy reporter with the lockpicks. Yeah. I wonder why you're here. Mmm. <laughs> and that was quite a fun system. And quite a fun game as well. Yeah, awesome. That makes it makes me think of. Um, have any people? It's hard to justify when the police turned up and found us in the morgue, investigating the bodies at <laughs> like one in the morning. Well, when else are you going to investigate bodies? Well, certainly not <laughs> whilst the morticians are at work. Yeah, that'd be rude. <laughs> I'd be getting in the way. It kind of makes me think of fate as well for talking about sort of agnostic uh, systems to use. Fate's really good for that as well. Um, it's sort of, uh, I can't remember, the, I've not played it in ages, but like you get certain element times when you can um, you can sort of drive home there being a particular element to the scene that then is then canon and everyone else has to use and stuff. Um, mm, but yeah. Other but, systems um, have like, like Cortex has the plot points that you can reward players with, which they can then cash in mm. to make small changes to the scene that are advantageous. Yeah. Uh, like if they're, you know, cornered in a, a bar and bad guys are about to come in the front door, you can spend a plot point to make a very obvious back door appear. Yeah. And there's um there's a really wicked system and uh for the life of me I still can't run it because the only time I've ever played it was uh, I played it and I, I hadn't read the book or anything. Uh, I I literally just dropped into a session and it is the fantasy flight uh Star Wars games that are now out out. And they use these dice, which tell you, one, if you're successful in something or not. But they also have, um, it's, I think it's like um, victory and despair or something. So if you roll one of those, then you have to describe, you know, so you could completely miss an attack with a lightsaber, for example. But you get a triumph. That's what it is, a triumph. So you can then describe, okay, I don't hit the uh, the person that I'm attacking, but my lightsaber cuts through like a uh, a gas vent and it jets sort of, 
uh, fumes into my enemy's face, or you get a despair, and you've got to say, oh, instead, then the the, the gas like blasts at me and stuff. It's just a really nice cooperative element to the uh, to the system. So even combat is like still narratively grounded, as it were. Um, I recommend Fantasy Flight actually. If you can decode the uh, what the dice mean, which I still can't because I haven't read it, um, <laughs> then it's a really really good system. <laughs> Um, but speaking Fantasy of really Flight good, are, they they tend to make high quality games, RPGs, and tabletop with yeah. difficult to interpret rule books. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've not even I've not even read the rule book for that. So, but um, thankfully that we had like a dice app which told you what it meant. So that's how I managed to get through the sessions. Um, I, I like that sense of you know victory and tragedy, tragedy and victory. Yeah. Um, that mixed result. It reminds me of something that I'm looking forward to in the forthcoming reboot of Paranoia. Oh, okay. uh, which I did kickstart. Nice. It's had some production troubles, but I've got a box coming. Should be with me later this year, and that includes the computer dice. Now, if you're familiar with the Alpha Complex of Paranoia, you will know the computer is Fred's computer. Well, your friend, of course. Uh, the computer is in charge of the complex. And so that is there to care for you and look after you and has been forever and hasn't gone peculiar in all those years. You can yeah. absolutely <laughs> trust the computer. So when you make a roll, you roll your D6s as normal, but you also roll the computer dice. And if the computer dice comes up, uh, so it's, it's got many blank faces and the computer face. If the computer face comes up, it doesn't matter if you succeeded or failed. If you succeeded, you've still succeeded. If you failed, you've still failed. But the computer has become involved. Oh. Uh. So the computer may question your success or your failure, or may simply obstruct you for no particular <laughs> reason. And one of the examples given is the, the new edition of Paranoia is less about CCTV, because the old Paranoia was very much the... Uh, Big Brother is watching you. There are CCTV cameras everywhere. But technology in the real world has moved on and concerns in the real world have moved on. It's now all about having your data intercepted by the computer. So the computer literally sees what you see and can affect what you see. For example, if something is above your clearance, it may be pixelated. You literally can't see what it is that you're not supposed to see. Oh, that's cool. Which could be quite funny if it's something quite dangerous. Um, yes. And one example they give is if someone is rolling to uh, fire their gun at something, and they roll a success, but also the computer dice, their shot hits, but at the same time a pop-up obscures their vision with the computer saying, it looks like you're in try uh, trying to engage in gunplay. Would you like to watch a brief tutorial? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It paperclips you. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. Oh, that's excellent. I do love Paranoia. Paranoia is, is is a great game and should be played at the nearest next possibility. So Numenera. Tell me about Numenera. Yeah, okay. So um, I, I guess I'll take this one then. But Jack, you'll have to remind me of certain details. Again, oh, this is one I was playing fine. and not one I ran. Um but uh, Numenera to um, 
we talked about it briefly last episode, but I'll I'll, I'll say again here: Numenera is a setting that is um, uh, it takes the concept that the Earth has uh, basically seen world-ending um, incidents a number of times, nine times to be specific. Um, and in each of before each of those times, there was an era. So you have um, the first era, the second era, and so on. And uh, within each of those eras, you have certain technology levels. Um, and in the ninth one that this game was set in, the far future, where basically anything um, sort of sci-fi and technological, uh, all this kind of technology, is now considered to be ancient relics. Basically, imagine D&D, but um, in a world where, like, a, a, a futuristic sci-fi setting once happened, but now it's just crumbled into dust. So all these ancient artifacts that you would, you know, pl- plunder for are basically considered magical because of how good the technology is. Um, as Jack put it, there's nano machines in everything. There's nano machines in the food. There's nano machines in your uh, in your player characters. Nano machines everywhere, and that makes up the magic system. If you are uh, particularly adept, you can manipulate these nanomachines to basically uh, be your powers. To It's essentially your magic, as it were. Um, what was it that you cited, Jack? There is a rule, isn't there? The the rule that uh, um, uh, about uh, the cr- the cross of magic and science. Um, what, in, in Numenera? No, oh, it's oh, an actual... Oh, is, the, um, is, it, is it... Oh, it's... Is it... It is Arthur C. Clarke who said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. That's the one. So you oh, basically, yeah. that's yeah. basically the the foundation of, of of how you sort of address this uh, this amount of technology, I feel. But anyway, so we, we have these uh, characters um, that we create in a very, very interesting way. Um, the three-word character uh, generation. I mean, it's a bit more complex than that, but Jack, do you want to explain this as you'll probably explain it better than I will? Uh, what, the, the game in general or...? No, 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 the, uh, the character creation, like how, oh, it, how yeah. you do it with the three words. So basically you have access to... Uh, I, I honestly forget what they were called now, but you have access to three uh, archetypes. Um, you have the, the the sort of the physical brawler type. You have the the thinky magicy type, and then you have the skillful all rounder type. And the only one I can remember off the top of my head is the all rounder type because that's what I am. Uh, that's what I played rather, and it's called a jack. And then, so once you've picked one of those three, you pick a descriptor for them. So I am an agile jack. I am a uh, devious jack. I am a ruthless Jack, and so on. And that will give you a certain quality for your character. Um, so I believe mine was uh, Lucky, which gave him access to re-rolls and things like that. Uh, and in many, I could like spend skill points in altering dice rolls, just because he was a bit luckier than the average person. Uh, and then you, and then uh, after you've got those two, so I am a a blanky blank. You have who. And then another little description about you. So it might be who fights with a sword, um, who can uh, punch out a bear. These aren't actual ones. I'm just trying to sort of think of. The only one I can always remember is uh, who howls at the moon, which basically means that you're a werewolf. Oh yeah. No one took that one. Uh, no. And uh, yeah, so that char- that is your character creation, and it means yeah. That, and yeah, from 
yeah I mean, and in the I mean, book it actually like gives you legs. yeah and it, and it, in the book it, it gives you all the examples and then from those descriptors you actually get mechanics on uh, how that benefits your character. So uh, Agile Jack, that would obviously make him better at uh, dodging out of the way of attacks and um, sort of like essentially your saving throws, that kind of thing, uh, if you are to look at it in terms of a D&D kind of... Um, in that kind of area. Um, so anyway, the story, we had like a whole bunch of factions um, uh, in this world. Um Kind of similar setup to um, uh, what Simon was describing earlier about uh, uh, basically there is a faction of each faction. There is a um, there is a driving sort of uh, ambition or motivation. Um, and it came to essentially the civilized world's attention that there is a uh, I think it's like a war. They're called a war engine. There are a number of these war engines that have appeared throughout history and have often been the cause of those world-ending incidents that I've mentioned before, which switches the game from era to era. And uh, the uh, civilized world essentially gets wind of this and uh, basically is looking for anyone who might be able to help um, basically unite a force to potentially be able to stop this thing. Um Generally, we're all in this together, enemy of my enemy, and so on. So um, enter our characters, who are essentially uh, sky pirates. Um, uh, as with a lot of good uh, role-playing games, it is not complete without a wonderful uh, airship that, uh, is used, uh, that we use to basically traverse this strange and varied landscape. Uh, Jack was the captain. I was. Um, who was basically a um by dint of, he's quite suave i was i was captain by dint of having bought the airship <laughs> that's true yes it's mine i will give myself the job i want that's very true um that i a was good way to become a captain yep. own the ship that's it yeah i was um my character was called uh the only he had like a a longer name but i remember his first name was umbra and essentially, I use those descriptors. I can't remember exactly what they were because it was a little while since we played. But essentially, I'd like you to imagine Batman, <laughs> right? Um, he was basically Cyborg Batman. That's right. I forgot he was part Cyborg. Um, and he had like a grappling hook and he had like a, a, a cape and stuff and whatever. Uh, and he was like, uh, I think he was like first mate and head of security or something. He was basically like the heavy hitter and a tactician. Um, and who else did we have? We had, um, I can't remember the other characters, Jack. Uh, we had a sort of dungeon delving relic hunter um, who was a, a magician. We had Nathan Drake, Lara Croft's type, but with magic. Yeah, but he was more of a bookworm. So, uh, yeah, sort of more like an actual archaeologist. <laughs> um, except also, you know, with magic. Um, so more of an Indiana Jones with magic. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and less punching. M less punching Nazis. Um, yeah. We had Krisha's character, who was the um, collector of man-eating plants. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> That's a very Christian character. Yeah, she had her own little yeah, sounds... had her own little atrium or whatever you like a little little uh, little gre uh, greenhouse on board the ship that we never went in. Atrium of death. <laughs> she was poison ivy. 
Pretty much, yeah. Except more of a scientific bent rather than uh, an eco-terrorist bent. Hey, Poison Ivy is Dr. No, Pamela Isley. But that's never what she is a scientist as well. Yeah, that's never what's focused on, though. Except, weirdly, in Batman and Robin. And yeah. in some of the comics. I, I mean, not, not the ones I've seen and not the video games she's appeared in recently. Which is a shame. Yeah, she's not been. She wasn't really focused that in the Lego Movie. More scientists. More scientists. More now. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Who else am I? I'm, there must have been someone else as well. Um, Are those are the only ones I can remember. Yeah, I'm struggling to recall now. What a memorable game! Caught the attention, and also the fact that we were off on a mission to save the world. Well, save a town. Yeah. Yeah, we essentially had to go to these rival factions, all of who have like a different stake in the world, to try and convince them that our plan was the best. Our plan was the one that was going to uh, um, rescue the world from uh, another annihilation. Um, and uh, it meant going to different factions and sort of doing a Mass Effect 3 kind of thing, you know, trying to uh, enlist help, but in doing so, having to complete favors for other people to to sort of win them over and to, and to unite everyone and into this common cause. I was um, going to say, I kind of got vibes of the Catalyst project from Mass Effect from the description of the setup. Kind of, yeah. And um, Matt was running this, and uh, I really hope uh, I'm not discrediting his work because this was a highly enjoyable campaign. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, it had loads and loads of different moments. But I want to talk about one moment in particular that happened to my character because... Um, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, essentially, as Jack mentioned earlier, my character was a cyborg, and um, he essentially uh, had uh, something happened to him in the past where I think actually Jack it was he was attacked by wolves <laughs> or something like that, wasn't it? Like just randomly in his backstory, he was attacked and savaged by wolves. So. Um, uh, in his soldiering days or something, so he had been rebuilt half cyborg. And basically, to save another individual's life, he um, he essentially uh, repaired himself as he was brutally injured himself by removing his heart, giving it to someone else through surgery, and then taking on this really strange uh, artifact, which was this, uh, basically it was half organic, half cyborg heart that he put into his body. And... Um, Matt, because essentially there for all of these sort of um, nanotech items, you get bonuses when using it, and sometimes you get negatives as well. There's always a cost. There's always a there's always a balance to be struck. And the thing was is that this heart, when in my character's chest, basically managed to make him go into overdrive. He was able to push himself to to greater limits. He was able to jump. Through the air, he was able to take on uh, multiple people in hand-to-hand -hand combat and, you know, deal with them, you know, really, really effectively. However, this heart was also a ticking clock because it wasn't designed to go into uh, a sort of uh, half-flesh individual, essentially. Like, it was supposed to be... Um, <laughs> like it, it was basically there to augment someone who would be able to take the that sort of level of heart beat, and my guy wasn't that. And Matt comes to me and says, "You do realize it's a ticking clock. Like you've only got a certain amount of time to live now that you've made this decision to save this other person and take this heart yourself." 
I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to make sure that I use my newfound abilities to, uh, to, uh, um, you know, help save the world and then, and then I'll be happy. So the final encounter happens and we've rallied all our forces that are wielding nanotech magic and, uh, uh, all sorts of different weapons, all sorts of, and I will say all the, the sort of magical items, nanotech items are, are really, really cool. Like what was the one you had, Jack? You had one that were like, Oh, hang on. Do you remember you had like a boot? Was it a boomerang or something? Oh God, I'm trying to remember because most of mine were entirely useless. There was one that vaguely, it subtly changed the flavor of items. That was it. That yeah. was the entirety of its application. And I had a color-changing hat with a big feather. Oh, yeah. The, oh, it's a color-changing hat with a big feather that uh, occasionally made noises. So, so we decided, That's right, yeah. rather than being, because oh, I was a sky pirate, rather than having a parrot, I had a hat that would make parrot noises. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was good. But anyway, it comes to the final confrontation of this world, this death engine appears on the horizon. And a great battle takes place, not only against this uh, this engine, but also uh, hundreds of thousands of nanobots that are unleashed from within its depths and start basically uh, ripping people apart and stuff. And we bring the airship into full combat with this thing. We've upgraded the airship. We're firing all our guns at it. We're going to town on it, but we're just not making a dent. So my dude uh, basically uses his Batman grappling gun, essentially, to get on top of this thing and start trying to wreak havoc from the inside of this thing. Um, and during the combined efforts of both the ship attacking, all of us gunning for this thing, Against all odds, we are able to overcome this thing and bring it down. And at this point, I'm being asked by Matt every turn to make checks to see if I can carry on because the heart is starting to give out. And like a few times, like I go for an attack and completely fail the save. So I drop to a knee, clutching at my chest, breathing heavily, knowing that my time is, is, is soon at hand. And as this thing is destroyed and crumbling around me, I fall to the ground and Matt says, right, um, this is it. Like you're, you're, you're going to die now. This is, this is it for you. And I was like, that's fair. And he was like, roll a D 20. But like, if I'm honest, the only way you're going to survive is if you roll a critical success, which using a D 20 is roll a 20. It's a one in 20 chance. Yes. I roll natural frigging 20 and i was so happy i was at like one hp the world exploding around me and my character is just laughing laughing on his back staring at the sky as somehow for some reason his um cyborg body is at the last minute able to adapt so if we were ever to play that game again which we didn't get around to unfortunately it would meant that i had all of those amazing powers um but without the negativity of imminently dying um but that was a it's a great system like i i can't sing its praises enough like it's monty cook isn't it who who did it yeah who, who yeah and what a what a great job i mean it's got the sort of like a lot of the lore and flair to do with it, it does like sort of harken back to his days on D 3.5 and stuff um but with a really cool sci-fi slash fantasy edge, and I would urge 
anyone who's interested in role-playing games to give Numenera a shot because um, there's just an infinite amount of stories you can tell in it, like with its uh, different eras and things. Uh, so yeah, check it out. And you've got the video game coming out. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Based on it now. From the people that bought us yeah, uh, Planescape. Mm. It's, uh, I have now seen some video on it. It is isometric. It is set in the ninth world. Oh. A, a billion years in the future, apparently. Wow. Yeah, a billion years or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it it's is. It's enough years in the future that the number of years in the future just is irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it says in the trailer, as if I saw for it, it goes along the lines of. You know, yeah, it, it's this technology can be called magic by some, but that's irrelevant, basically. Yep. <laughs> it is what it is. And it, Just as a little aside, did yeah. you know that uh, saying of Arthur T. Clarke's is actually one of his three rules? He is another writer with three yeah, laws. Yeah, that was the thing. Was, oh, yeah. We knew it was a law, but I couldn't remember which, which writer it was. I was like, no, it's not Asimov. Um, but I remember, I remember uh, someone else had rules. It must have been Clark that had the... Uh, I didn't know that, no. I love the first of Arthur C. Clarke's laws, which is, if a distinguished scientist tells you something is possible, he is almost certainly right. If he tells you something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And the second one is that the only way to find the bounds of the possible is to step beyond them. Ooh, I like that one. This dude's cool. <laughs> and Simon, and Simon killed him. Oh, I did not kill Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> you absolutely did. You don't want that on your slate. You know, I remember bearing the guilt for Arthur C. Clarke's death, but I have forgotten the circumstances under which I have been accused of killing Arthur C. Clarke. Do you want me to remind you? <laughs> yes, go I on. Forget, okay, who else? The listeners will probably be entertained by this I forget as well. who else turned up on this list, but there were a large number of celebrities where every single time they came up in conversation, we would go... Are they, are they still alive? And then we'd look them up and go, oh, yeah, oh no, yeah, they're still alive. And within a week, within a week, they would be, they would be dead. And on our, on our <laughs> way to it, fuck yes, I remember there this. There were so many of them. It, it wasn't even like once or twice. It was about five or six times. Um, we were on our way to a game of Necromunda in the car ah. to Tewksbury when uh, we were discussing the space elevator. And uh, and uh, I was like, so is Arthur C. Clarke like still alive? Because I was really surprised when I found out other sort of various great sci-fi writers were still alive or were you know were around a lot more recently than I thought they were. And Simon looked him up and went, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, he's still alive. Three hours later, the news broke that Arthur C. Clarke had died. Yep, I remember oh. that now. Three hours. Three hours later. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's sad. <laughs> so yeah, Bye, man. You re you really sucked him into that one, didn't you? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's all his fault. I mean, it's not as bad as my ability to break up bands. Oh yeah, oh. Well, that's when you went and go, <laughs> go and see them, isn't it? Or, or even in one instance attempt to go and see them. Didn't you try and go and see Nirvana? <laughs> yeah. How, what, what was the reason for that, that concert getting cancelled, Simon? Kurt Cobain shot himself. Yeah, so isn't that not a combination of both of your curses? Yes, it is. 
Wow. <laughs> oh, God. But there was a long period of time where every band I went to see would shortly after announce their breakup, and people were trying to buy me tickets to go and see people like Take That and Vice <laughs> Girls. And... I was like, I don't think it'll work if you buy me the tickets. Oh, dear. Don't even think about going to any bands now, Simon. It's, oh, man. I haven't in some time, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> Actually, the last band I went to see live in concert was Skunk and Nancy, and that was because they'd reformed. They broke up again, didn't Yay. they? I don't think so. Shall we look them up? All right. Yeah, That can't possibly go Let, wrong. Let's see, let's see. Let's see if it is or was a band. So what was the band again? Gunkanancy. Gunkanancy are okay. a British rock band. Yep, their, their latest entry in the Wikipedia list is... 2011 to present. Oh, that's so. good. So, dear listeners, if you are you will obviously be listening to this in the future, when listening to this, uh, just go and check them out, and you will see that they're all broken up and now dead. <laughs> <laughs> I bloody hope not. I sincerely hope not. I didn't realize. Oh, God. Uh, as, as an aside, I didn't realize what Skunk and Nancy refer to their musical style as. What clip rock? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's cool. Anyway, do you I mind me off topic? Uh, well, I was going to yes, say, like, are, are we wrapping up now? Because I have something that I'd like to plug, if you don't mind. But well, not actually, not we can bring up. it back on topic. Which is, uh, did we mention UCIP and play by email Star Trek in the last episode? No. Oh God, I don't think we did. Because my longest running RPG character of all time was, without question, the eleven-year career of Karen Harrington. Uh, at first an ensign and later a commodore of Starfleet in a play-by-email Star Trek campaign. That's amazing. Wow. Whose physical appearance was entirely based on skin from Skunk and Nancy. Oh, wow. It did... You're getting so much better at these, these um, segues than I am. <laughs> I think it's just the opportunity was there and I took it. Excellent. That's a good man. Good man. I remember uh, I I was involved. I, I put I did one post in that game, one post, <laughs> and we realised it was around the time we were actually. I think we just finished the vampire campaign we were talking about at the top of this episode, and it was suggested to me that I should play a Jonah esque character, the mad vampire, in the Star Trek uh, post by email game. I did one post. And uh, to this day, I still remember it and look back on it in shame. <laughs> because having <laughs> now shame. seen a bunch of Star Trek, which at the time I hadn't really seen a whole lot, um, I now think that as like, oh my God, like what must have these people been thinking? Like, because all of the people playing were basically like hardcore Star Trek fans. I come along and in my post, like, I'm basically like... Um, <laughs> I'm disobeying orders, like, uh, I'm I'm falling over, I'm, like, um, not mutinous. What's the other word when you're basically going against... Insubordinate. Insubordinate, yeah. yes. I was showing, like, a criminal level of insubordination, like, uh, and I was just like, this this doesn't work. I've, I've misjudged this situation completely. I'm going to see if I can find that email one day. I'll, I will look and, and see if I can, because I still have the email account, so... But it was bad on my part. <laughs> the blemish oh, of your uh, otherwise illustrious eleven-year career, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worry; I had plenty of blemishes. 
by design in her early years. Yeah. What setting was it? Was it, uh, was it as I recall, wasn't Hephaestus a space station like Deep Space Nine? Um, not like Deep Space Nine, but it was a space station. Hephaestus was only the last couple of years of that career. Uh, it was a... Nominally, it was a deep space repair base, so it was very much like the um, the space station in orbit around Earth. So it was a huge dry dock that you could park spaceships inside so that they could be worked on. Right. Um, it did have a habitat ring, though, uh, because that was where a lot of the actual plot happened, because it was a very... Like Deep Space Nine, it was a very um, we-stay-in-one-place-and-bring-the-plot-to-us kind of a setting. Uh, and I remember one quarter of that ring was given over to Black Ops. Uh, but, I mean, God, in the 11 years that I was playing in that game, she served on various different ships, even took a serving planet side at one point and served on multiple star bases. Uh, the nice thing about a play-by-email game like that is it's something that you don't need to find time to sit down with people regularly to do. Everyone can engage you know, as and when they have the time. So it's just... If you want to write, if you want to collaborate, telling stories with people, there's no GM, there's no dice. It's just cooperating to tell a story. The 11 years, I admit, were on and off, uh, drifted away, came back into it here and there. But it's uh, it goes to show you that having that kind of slightly hands-off commitment, if you want to play an RPG, but you're not sure you can find a group of people to sit down every week, there's lots of play-by-email or play-by-forum post kind of games where you can have a multi-year game uh, with very little time commitment um, in terms of what you have to put in and as much as you want to if you want to be one of those people who posts every fucking day, but don't be one of those people. Don't be that guy. Oh, wow. But, I mean, you raise another good point there, Simon. Obviously, if you can't find a group, but obviously some people might like the idea of playing a role-playing game, but for reasons, uh, multiple reasons, might not feel comfortable actually doing the role-playing because at the end of the day, you are surrounded by a bunch of people and you are sort of acting a different character. You are. So I I think play-by-post would be a really good kind of gateway into that maybe as well. Yes, because certainly you're you're writing the narrative often from a third-person perspective, so it's a very different experience to inhabiting the character, uh, which requires a certain presence and confidence that can be quite difficult. Um, it, it's very different to write about a character. So it's a, it's a different way of engaging. It's something we haven't covered in two episodes worth of this, but, you know, tabletop role-playing games are not the only way to play role-playing games. Yeah. Perhaps that's another episode for another time. Yeah, definitely. But you had something you wanted to close with, and looking at the uh, timer probably time we were closing things off yeah i just i just want to shamelessly plug something because i i've been working on since june last year um if you like role-playing games i have a youtube channel it's called performance check um and essentially it's my youtube channel that i use to do Basically, I focus a lot on D&D, but a lot of the tips and sort of uh, suggestions I give are system agnostic. So if you're like thinking about role playing, that kind of thing, then you might want to check those out. I also run D&D online uh, in a campaign called The Lawkeepers, 
with uh, some of my American and Irish brethren. Um, if you like epic, like high-level magic sort of D&D stories, then check it out. It's good fun. Um, and I use it to do all sorts of stuff. So if you like that, go over there and maybe give me a subscribe. Shameless I chill. didn't know about this. Well, I'm I look at your page now. <laughs> I haven't met. I mentioned it you once kept that one because, I, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't like to blow my own trumpet, but like as we're on the yes, subject, you do. You love <laughs> to blow your own trumpet. As we're on the subject, yeah. Like um, it's something that I've done for a little bit. I've, yeah, I kept it quiet from you guys, but like I didn't hide it either. I did mention it in the. I've not mentioned it on the podcast, but I did mention it in our group chat a little while ago because we were talking about something else, which we can't actually mention currently. There's like 40 videos here. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so if you've always wondered what I look like as well, for sheer curiosity alone, for those watching the podcast, you can see my big ugly mug there. So this, um, is, so this is the new uh, Dangerously Unprepared YouTube channel. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> as hosted by Rob. You have to, you have to make another one. But um, no, it's fine. We can just piggyback off that one. It's fine. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's that's me over on the YouTube's. Um, like I say, mainly D and D stuff, but the stuff I talk about is basically agnostic, so it could work for any setting. And uh, yeah, what's that name go, again? Go look me up. It's performance check. Uh, I thought with the actor thing and the D and D skill, I thought that was uh, that would apply. Oh, clever, clever. But yeah, sorry. I, I, know, I know it's a shameless shill, but uh, I thought as we're on topic. It has come as a shock. I'm going to have to check this out. Cool, man. Well, I've already me... subscribed. Oh, thanks, man. Well, let me know what you think. I will do. Cool. Um, yeah, um, there, yeah, like I say, there is. we can't talk about it, though. But there's look, oh. l- look out for something really cool that's happening later. Not on my channel here at Dangerously Unprepared. If, if, you, if you do some investigatory work, uh, and you'd have to be pretty deep digging, you might find teasers of this have, have been mentioned on social media here and there, maybe, already, because uh, there are certain people I kind of had to tease it to, because I know there are specific people listening who are super psyched for this <laughs> thing we can't talk Ooh, about. Really? Okay. Interesting. Oh, yeah. We have our super fans. Really? Yeah. We have fans? Yeah. Well, friends. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> super <laughs> friends. <laughs> friends of the show. Super friends. Oh, thank God. Yes. No, no, no. We're not having the super friends. No. <laughs> oh, but we no. do have to do an episode about the CW superhero shows, and they are super friends shows, so... Yeah, I've got to okay, but not the actual Super Friends. I don't think our show can hold that much racism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, sad times. Sad times. <laughs> but I, I tell you what, guys. Like for those for those watching, uh, watching, listening. Um, if you have any RPG stories that you want to share, then. Send them to us. Oh, fucking yes. We want to hear yeah. them. Think of us as being like the opposite of uh, people who make RPGs for a living. We want to hear about your characters. We do. Yeah. Tell us all about them. Send us email yeah. at mail at dangerouslyunprepared.com. Or tell us about it on Facebook, where we are Dangerously Unprepared. 
Also, we are now on iTunes. We weren't the first couple of episodes we put out, although oh, they no. are on our iTunes feed. Excellent. It takes a little while to get onto iTunes. Yeah. You can now go and rate, subscribe, review. Go give us some love on iTunes. Absolutely. Gil, give us a two out of five, maybe even a three out of five. If you're feeling Four flirty. Four out of five <laughs> if you're nasty. <laughs> and five out of five if your heart is filled with sin. <laughs> Uh, and also go on over to our website, dangerouslyunprepared.com, and uh, put up a, a show suggestion or perhaps vote on another show that other people have suggested. Yes, please do as that. We are, as we are proving right now, we listen to that shit and we, we act on it. Do you want us to talk about Kevin Smith films or Quentin Tarantino movies like Christopher, who we, whose email we read at the start of the show? Go vote. Those ideas are on the page right now. Maybe you want us to talk about Blade Runner, because apparently someone wants to hear me talk about Blade Runner for an episode. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Uh, I, I admit I voted for that one. Three um, people do, yes. Yeah, one of them vote. is me. We're hosts. <laughs> we can't vote for shows. We, we, we totally can, can. We should. I really? just voted oh, for Blade Runner the second. What I've literally just voted for right now, Disney history and general talk. Yeah, I'm Ooh, voting for that Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. So Rob, Rob, it completely give... defeats the purpose of the vote system, Rob, if you vote for everything on the list. Politicians do it, I'm going to do it too. I can give you free suggestions who made that Disney post. Well, seeing as the description of the post <laughs> is with a special guest and to possibly help Mrs. Irish with her dissertation, yeah. I think I can guess who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm voting for it, because I'm... Uh, a relatively recent convert to Disney movies, actually, because huh. uh, Zoe recently discovered that I hadn't seen any of the modern era of Disney animated Disney movies. Like, awesome. I'd seen the classics, Dumbo, Snow yeah. White, all of that. But the modern but classics, the stuff like... I don't know where it's where the line is, but, like, was it Aladdin onwards, Lion King onwards? I don't know which one came oh, the first. Nine, the nine... It's different, there's different eras... We can get onto this because seriously, because Jen can go yeah, on. Yeah. Jen, we'll, Jen can go on. we'll do an episode. We'll do an episode. And I'll get to talk. I'll get to talk at length about my favorite Disney film that seemingly no one else in the world fucking likes. Like, what, what on? Black Cauldron. Oh, that's a good film. Yeah, but I, no one I else seems to like about it. About Lion King. And I can talk about the show, the the film that probably created more furries than any. <laughs> Robin Hood. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what a great one. Evie just watched that recently. It's a really good film. But yes, so if if you would like to hear that show, go to dangerouslyunprepared.com slash topics and vote because it's up there. And if you don't want to listen to any of the stuff that's on there, submit a new idea. Vote for that. Campaign for it. Spread it on social media. Get your friends to vote. Yeah. Because this show is driven by you. We have given you the power, and that's scary. We've given you the steering wheel, and we're vi- veering violently to the left. <laughs> hey, that's why we're called Dangerously Unprepared. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, we'll do a show about it. We won't necessarily know what we're talking about. Or do it well, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, tune in next week to work, uh, work out. Well, we'll work out what we're doing, and you can discover what we're doing next week. <laughs> but until then, I have been Simon. No, I have been Jack. I've been Rib. And I have been Irish. And this whole show has been dangerously unprepared. Bye.
Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. That was a Dangerously Unprepared podcast. Visit DangerouslyUnprepared.com to catch all our episodes and to submit topics for shows you'd like us to do in future. Follow us on Twitter at Unprepared Show. Find us on Facebook as Dangerously Unprepared. Thanks, as ever, go to Simply Syndicated for hosting us, IPI for the original music we based our theme tune on, and to you for listening. We hope you listen again. <laughs>